We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kathy Kuhn, the Counseling Director here at Rolling Hills Community Church. Today, we're continuing in our Advent series, Love Came Down. In today's sermon, Pastor Nick will continue teaching from the first chapter of Luke. He'll be speaking about joy and how the reason for this Christmas season is Jesus. Through Christ alone is where our true joy is found, church. Now here's Pastor Nick. I brought all kinds of stuff today. I'll have to make some more room here because I definitely got to keep the coffee. How are you guys doing? Merry Christmas. That was really, really kind of you. I'm, I'm glad. Merry Christmas. It's even better the second time. That's like leftovers, right? I'm glad that you guys are here. Continuing our Advent series, um, today we land on the word joy. Having already explored what it is that Christ came to do um, to bring us love um, and peace um, and hope. Um, Now we land on maybe the best word of all for Christmas because it's the word joy. How many of you have ever heard the expression? Now I'm showing my Southern in this morning. How many of you have ever heard the expression, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? You know, we did not invent that in the South like we may have thought we did. It's actually German, dates back to the 1400s. I think they said it proper with a German accent, but still it's the same thing. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The idea of, hey, the bathwater is dirty and you got to get rid of it, but don't accidentally throw the good thing out with it. I think that we've done that as a culture. In fact, I know that we have. I know that in their earnestness, I know that in their desire to follow Jesus and to make the message really, really clear, the early church abandoned a lot of our really good Jewish heritage and roots to the point of which you and I grew up today as products of a Christianity that has lost something along the way. And then, of course, we became a worldwide and say that the Catholic Church did some, well, we can be real honest and say that the Christian Church, a lot of us have done really damaging things throughout the years. And we know what led up to the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther tacking 95 theses. We celebrated at Halloween, Reformation Day, on the doorway of a church in order to say, hey, we need to purify the church. This thing that we are needs to get better. And in order to go forward, we threw some of the baby out with the bathwater because there was really good church history. And there really were some great Catholic practices and traditions that we could have kept along the way to the point of where you and I are a church of believers in Jesus Christ in this century, having not been raised with some of the history that could have benefited us today in following Jesus. In 167 BC, before Jesus came, The Greeks, you know, the Babylonian Empire had taken over. They took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego off to Babylon. They made them eat the king's fine foods, which mercy, I bet that tasted. Of course, Daniel and his friends abstained. Great things happened. Lion's den, fiery furnace, whole lots of stories. Well, the Babylonians didn't last in power for long. You remember the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had built. It told of the empires that would come. And so the Persians came in. They were nicer than the Babylonians. They allowed the Jews to go back and to rebuild the temple and the city wall surrounding Jerusalem. That's why we have the book of Ezra and Nehemiah because we're celebrating those moments. That's why we have the prophecy of the word of Haggai saying, hey, don't just build your houses when you get to go home, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all your contemporaries. Make sure you build the house of the Lord among you too. Well, the Persians didn't last either. The Greeks under Alexander the Great came to power, and then they were divided into a couple of different dynasties, and the Seleucids in 167 
decided that they would turn their attentions toward Jerusalem, to that second temple, and they destroyed it. A king by the name of Antiochus IV, he called himself Epiphanes, which meant God manifest. Now, if you're going to stand up in front of a group of people and call yourself God, they thought he was the Antichrist. This was a really big deal, and not only did he refer to himself as God, he stood in the holiest of holy places, desecrated the temple, put up statues to Zeus and all other types of Greek gods and goddesses, and sacrificed pigs. You know how the Jews felt about that on the altar of God. And so the temple had been desecrated. There was a priest named Mattathias. He had had enough. He was done. He was getting older in years, but he had some sons, the youngest of which name was Judah. And he was so strong, they called him Judah Mahamakabi, which means the hammer. It's where we get the word the Maccabees. The Maccabean revolt happened. It took about three years. And in those days, they won. And they walked back into their temple. Mattathias had died at this point, and Judah was now priest over the people and leading the charge. And he knew, he knew they needed to reinstate worship. He knew that they needed to honor God. He knew that they needed to make a sacrifice. The problem was that the temple was dirty. Can you imagine all the big guts and blood all around? Plus, it had been unclean, defiled. It was a place where sin had happened. He started by tearing down all of the idols to Zeus and all of the other Greek gods and goddesses. And then he knew that the temple had to be purified. The problem was they didn't have enough pure pressed olive oil to burn the candle, to light the menorah for the amount of time that it would take to purify the temple. It would take eight days to press new olives into olive oil And he only had enough oil for one day. But the miracle of the light, the miracle of the oil, was that this one tiny little bit of oil for one candle for one day burned for eight straight days, the amount of time that it would take for them to press new oil so that they could continue with purification and so they could then begin their worship again. That miracle became denoted as Hanukkah. In the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, a miracle happened here. And so they celebrated it. In John chapter 10, you see Jesus going into Jerusalem and walking around Solomon's portico in the temple courts at the Feast of Dedication. Jesus didn't celebrate Christmas. No Christmas trees, no ornaments, no presents, no Saint Nick, none of that, right? Jesus is the reason for Christmas. What did Jesus celebrate? Hanukkah. The word Hanukkah literally means dedication, when the temple was rededicated to God. So my family, we gather around this tiny little, it's plastic, nothing real special here, right? This menorah to celebrate Hanukkah every year. For eight straight days, we burn the candles. For eight straight days, we do activities and games because what we believe is that this baby that we threw out with the bathwater points to Jesus about as clearly as our nativity on Christmas. Because who do we know is the light of the world? Jesus Christ. Who do we want to be ever increasingly dedicated to for all of our days? Jesus. Does my life need a periodic moment of consecration? (laughs) Yeah. Do we need to clean things up pretty annually and make sure that our hearts are purely dedicated to Christ again? 
There's a, a, quite a bit that we could continue to learn from this Jewish tradition. So every day for eight days, we do fun things like sufganiyats. You got to know about sufganiyats. They're jelly donuts. If you've not had a sufganiyat, go to Krispy Kreme this afternoon. They eat jelly donuts. Why do they eat jelly donuts? Because they're fried in oil and the oil reminds them of Hanukkah. Y'all, I can get behind this holiday, right? <laughs> Like that's something that we can celebrate. So Simon this year, uh, as we approach the, the last night of Hanukkah, he had this idea that we would play flashlight hide and go seek in our house. Now this is a game that we've played before where at night we just figured that it's kind of fun as parents to turn off all the lights in every single room of the house and all five of us go and hide with a flashlight and one of us go and try to find the others. If you're the first one found, then you're the one that has to count the next time. And it's really, really fun. He says, can we play flashlight hide and seek tonight? because the lights on our flashlights are kind of like the Hanukkah lights. And I think that was just his way of wanting to play a really fun game, but of course we did. And we were reminded that in a really dark, dark house, it only takes a little bit of light to find your way. And we're, we're living in a dark world. The, the Jews before the beginning of the New Testament were living in a really dark world. It was now a Roman world that was really influenced by the Greek culture. The Romans had taken Greek laws, Greek cultures, Greek foods, even the Greek language, and certainly the Greek religion, and had superimposed it over to their lives. And now they had built a bigger, better, stronger empire than ever. And they too, like the Greeks, hated the Jews. But to that dark world and to that difficult time, God chose to give us himself and not just himself, but a message about himself, not just in the form of one baby, but in the form of two babies. And I'm thrilled that this year we've spent just about as much time focusing on the birth of John the Baptist as we have Jesus. And you'll find out why. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope that you do, or you can pull it up on a mobile device or follow along with where we are on a screen. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, picking up where we left off last time in verse 57. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were foretold by the angel Gabriel, the same one that came to visit Mary, uh, that they were going to have a baby and that this baby would be a, a prophet, a messenger of the Most High God, and that he would turn, like Malachi says, the hearts of kids back to their fathers and that order and the world and forgiveness would be restored. This is a really good message that came from John. It was given to them and their barrenness and they were told that they were going to have a son. Well, now the time has come. Nine months later, here we go. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. It says her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, the child is to be called John. Naming kids is hard, right? It is. My mercy. You want to name them something that like they're not going to get picked on later in life. You want to make sure that you look it up in all the different languages and etymologies because you want to make sure that it doesn't mean something terrible. If you're going to use a Bible name, you're going to want to make sure that it's a really good character in the Bible. Name like Caleb. That's a great Bible story character. You don't want to name him like Hophni or Phineas because those are terrible Bible people. Like you've got to be really careful about the names that you choose. And you've got this whole like, I'm sorry I mispronounced your made up baby name because you don't want people to misspell it or mispronounce it all through life. Naming kids is hard. Well, here in this moment, People would have assumed 
that this baby would have been named Zechariah or something pertaining to his family name and not just because he could have dad's name like a junior and we do that even today, but so that he could follow in dad's footsteps. The idea of giving John a different name, a name not associated with their family, a name not associated with their heritage, a name not associated with his father was a declaration, this child is gonna be different than us. This child is not gonna follow along in the family business. What was Jesus when he grew up a carpenter? Why was he a carpenter? Because his father before him was a carpenter. This is a kid, John, who was not gonna follow along in the priestly family business because God had declared that he wouldn't be a priest, he would be a prophet. It's different. So you continue says, they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. So then, okay, we're not going to listen to her. She just had a baby. We're going to make sure that she's clearly not off a rocker. We're going to go to the father. Then they made a sign to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And you'll remember that Zechariah couldn't speak. He was mute. Chances are good that he couldn't even hear in the moment because when he didn't believe right off the bat that the angel was going to give them a son, he said, yeah, you'll be mute until the baby comes So he asked for a writing tablet. He motioned, hey, let me have something to write down on. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately. I love when the Bible says immediately because I don't like to wait for things. But immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. You want to underline something in your Bible? Underline throughout the hill country of Judea. We're going to talk about shepherds later this week when we get to Christmas Eve service that I hope you'll join us for. The shepherds are a really important part of the Christmas story. Where were they? They were in the hill country of Judea surrounding Bethlehem. It makes a difference that the good messages about God and that the powerful parts of this story are not necessarily and prominently first preached in the synagogues and in the cities, but out on the hilltops to a people in desperate need. So the message throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about not just the coming birth of Jesus. He wasn't here yet. Mary's still pregnant. She's still miserable, morning sickness, about all the nine. Like she's still with child. But Elizabeth's baby has been born and people were talking about it. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, verse 66, what is this child gonna be? For the Lord's hand was with him. What is this child gonna be? Later on in Luke chapter three, people would begin to assume that he was the Messiah. John had to tell him over and over, I'm not him. The one who comes after me, that's him. People assume that because so many great things were happening around John, maybe his entire life, maybe even miracles, maybe even wondrous signs, maybe even bizarre behavior, they had a reason to suspect something special about this kid. Maybe he's the Messiah, so much so that he had to tell his disciples over and over, I'm not that guy. The one who comes after me is the one. It's in your notes this morning. If you'd like to fill in blanks or jot it down on on, on your worship guides or fill it in on the mobile app, I do encourage you to write down some things that, that matter this morning as we look at this passage of scripture, particularly about John as we look ahead towards the birth of Jesus. Here's the deal. For Christmas to be real, it has to be personal. For Christmas to be real, it has to be personal. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Doesn't get more personal for her than that. You remember the story of when Mary immediately, she finds out that she's going to have a baby. The angel comes and she's pregnant and she goes to visit her cousin. What happened when she got there? When 
Mary came in. There's a baby in her belly, obviously. And when Elizabeth saw her coming and that baby sensed that baby, the baby inside Elizabeth leaped for joy. Elizabeth's joy about Christmas was personal. It was an answer to a lifelong prayer request. You see, Elizabeth had been barren. Elizabeth had gotten older. God intervened, gave her something special. Christmas was personal for her because it addressed a point of need in her life. I want to know that Christmas is personal for you because it's addressed your greatest need in life. For Christmas to be personal, you got to fast forward to Easter. You got to believe in this baby Jesus that would come and that we celebrate at Christmas. And you got to believe in the adult Jesus who served and gave his life at Easter. For Christmas to be real, it's got to be personal. You remember a few years ago when Christians... I'll just say us. I don't know if it was you. It definitely wasn't me. Remember when we got all mad because holiday stores were saying, or stores were saying holidays instead of Merry Christmas? We did. We got so mad about that. We were so offended when they started writing happy holidays on the windows at Target. And when we learned that employees were supposed to say something that was a little bit more diverse, a little bit less offensive, a little bit more nonspecific, we got so mad that they weren't saying Christmas. Y'all, I don't care if they say Christmas. Christmas can't be real unless it's personal. And if it's not personal, I'm not mad at them. I want to pray for them. Christmas has to be personal. After a personal experience with Jesus, the Messiah, after a salvation experience and the remission of your sins so that you can follow Jesus. When Christmas is more than just cultural it can be truly communal, that we can share something in common. Do you talk to strangers more at Christmas than other times during the year? I do. I just feel like it's more normal. We say, Merry Christmas. You, you strike up a conversation with the cashier at the register. You say hello to people on the street. Merry Christmas, that's what it sounds like with your mask on your face. They just have to, I assume that was a nice word that he just said to me. I couldn't understand him, couldn't see. It's, 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 you say nice things. You also see more people at Christmas. In church life, we definitely see more people at Christmas because more people come to church at Christmas than other times during the year. You wish they'd come on random days like, I don't know, March 13th, but, but you're excited that they come at Christmas and that we get to celebrate Christ together. We also see more family at Christmas. There's family and friends that we don't see any other time during the year. And we don't just share the food and the gifts and the traditions and the celebrations, we share a common bond of believing in Jesus. The big moments in your life, you celebrate with others. The, the, the baptisms, the, the, the weddings, the apparently in this tradition, the circumcisions. Everybody was there to watch. The baby's gonna be circumcised. It's on the eighth day. We're gonna give him a name. Let's just call the neighbors up and tell them to come over because when you have the big moments in life, you want to celebrate those with other people. And so here they are. John the Baptist, eighth day, about to be circumcised. Let's bring in people so that they can, what scripture says, share our joy. People can't share the joy of Christmas until they share your faith in Jesus. 
People can't share the joy of Christmas until they share faith in Jesus. That's why it says in Romans, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. The only way to be filled with joy is to trust in Jesus, which is why it's so important in your notes for us to share our faith in Jesus. This is why it matters. Because we want people to share not just cultural expressions of Christmas, not just fun little traditions, not just Frosty the snowman and all the reindeer, we can name them, Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Don, or Blitz. And if I can say all those but not mention to you the books of the Bible, then that's a problem. Like we want people to know not just the cultural expressions of happy holidays. We want people to know the reality and the joy of Christmas. And that only comes not from saying Merry Christmas. It comes from putting faith in the Christ of Christmas. So that's why we share our faith. And that's why it's important for us to communicate those truths because we want people to have Christmas. But in order for them to do that, they have to share our faith in Jesus. The prophecy surrounding John in Luke chapter one, verse 16 was that he, this kid, would bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. I wrote this in your notes. I have to remind myself of this often. None of us can be Jesus. You are supposed to live your life trying, but you know you'll never be Jesus. But every one of us, we can all be John. None of us can be Jesus, but we can all be John. John chapter 1, starting with verse 6, speaking of this guy, John the Baptist. Growing up, John the Baptist says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Later on in John chapter one, he says these words, I have seen and I testify that this, talking about Jesus, cousin Jesus, is God's chosen one. You know, the name John means gracious giver. I can't think of a better thing for Christmas to be about than that. That God graciously gave so that we might go out and be gracious givers. And the most gracious thing that you could give anyone is a signpost that says, I'm not the light, there is the light. I don't have the source of life, there is the source of life. I'm not the one, Jesus is the one. So what about Zechariah? He's, he's here in this story too. At this point, mute, writing things down on a tablet. Until this, that his mouth was immediately open because he named the baby John. I think about that period of silence in his life. I'm usually not silent for nine minutes, much less nine months. But he was silent for a long, long time. Silence and waiting is never really bad. It's all about preparing. And we can trust that in 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, God was moving. God was working. God was providing. And God was ultimately pointing to the son that he would provide. The, the, the periods of waiting in our life are ultimately all about preparing, that God is preparing us, we are preparing one another, and that we are preparing ourselves to do his work. 
says that Zechariah would not be silent and not able to speak until the day it happened because he didn't quite believe. And I love that he didn't quite believe in that moment because here he is, a priest whose lot was chosen and who got the designation that this was his moment to go and lead Israel in their practice of worship. And that's when the angel appeared to him. It was a crazy mixed up lottery system that which tribe, which group, which team would get to go in and make the worship. Well, it was God's design that it would be Zechariah that day and that he would have to go in and make arrangements for Israel to bring their sacrifice to God. That wasn't an accident. That was a sign of God's providence. But here he is a priest who should have been ready to hear a word from the Lord and ready to administer a word of the Lord to the people any day of the week. And yet he still had a moment of disbelief in his life. Amen to that. Doesn't that make you feel good? That no matter how smart I'm supposed to be, no matter how faithful I'm supposed to be, there's still room for growth in every single one of us. And sometimes the best growth takes place when you step back and shut up. Just be silent before the Lord and wait on him to work and wait on him to grow your faith into what it needs to be to accomplish his will. Silence and waiting isn't bad. It's all about preparing and for us, preparing for Christmas, we don't get a lot of silence around Christmas because the world is so noisy, but, but we need to step back because preparing for Christmas has to be all about praising. The Bible says immediately his mouth was open, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Our Christmas has to be all about the praising. You want to know what his praise sounded like? It starts in verse 67. It says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. I want you to repeat these words after me. Baruch Atah. Y'all don't even know what you're saying. You just trust me, don't you? Baruch Atah. Adonai. Eloheinu. Melech HaOlam. And you kind of have to, you kind of have to like, get some phlegm in your throat. This is a great season to speak Hebrew because you kind of have to say like, when you do it, like melech ha'olam, like you got to kind of get it back there in the back of the throat. Now, not too much because we'll think you have COVID, but you need to be really careful. You just said, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. And there are three Hanukkah blessings that they recite every day for those eight days. And it sounds miraculously a lot like what Zechariah said, praise, blessed. We learned last week that the word praise is synonymous with blessed in this translation of scripture. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Who is he? He's the king of the universe. It says because he's come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And in this guy's mind, when he's saying these words is a whole host of history that may have started with Father Abraham way back in the day, but it went through every single generation after that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Samuel, 
David, Solomon, and all of the kings and all of the prophets and all of the moments that had happened long before Zechariah was born to point them to this day when his son came out and his savior was soon to follow. So he says these words, and you, my child, who's he holding? John. And you, my child, will be called a not a priest, but a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare. I've been silent. I've been preparing to prepare the way for him to give his people the what? Knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun light will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. He lived in the wilderness. We gotta get that detail in. He was LLB and REI living out in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel to praise God and to make it known that he wasn't the Messiah, but that Jesus was on his way. Praising God at Christmas with words like these, Baruch Atah Elohim, Melech HaOlam, you are the great blessed God of this universe king over all and we worship you praising God at Christmas is where the real joy comes from and it's all about what did we read proclaiming the good news proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ came why did he come to bring light to bring hope to bring love to bring peace to bring joy to usher in salvation in a lot of ways with our Jewish heritage, we, we, we threw the baby out with the bathwater. And in its place, we adopted a lot of cultural, a lot of pagan traditions that don't point us back to Jesus. There is a right way to experience joy at Christmas. The alternatives, they may not be wrong, they will not bring joy and they may not be Christmas. So we wanna do whatever it takes, whether it's foreign to us and historical to us, to point ourselves and to point others to Jesus. This might do a better job than this. There's a lot of rich history in the tradition of the Christmas tree. Some of it pagan, but some of it remarkably Christian. But this one, you can't argue it. A light was coming and not just any light, the light that would never burn out, the light that would sustain us all, the the light that brings life to all men. His name is Jesus, and we celebrate him at Christmas. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.